Drive is recorded on the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, the traditional custodians of this land, and we pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. Hello, I'm Georgie Gardner and welcome to Drive, a future women podcast about women on their way. This episode is brought to you by Uber Eats, thousands of local restaurants available in under 30 minutes. Download the app today. Each week, I speak to accomplished and interesting women about their enviable careers, as well as how they manage to make time and space for themselves. From work and life advice to travel and wellness tips, I find out what engages them and, where possible, pass on their shortcuts. We live in a world with endless information at our fingertips and we're bombarded around the clock with opinions on what we should be thinking and doing with our time and our money. It's easy to be swayed by a trend or popular point of view and lose focus on what's truly important to us. I mean, who hasn't disappeared down the Pinterest hole or wasted hours absorbing the antics of social media influencers? Well, my guest today co-founded a fashion label in Australia almost 20 years ago. She had a very distinct vision of what that label would look like and the manner and environment in which she'd create it. There have been a few unpredictable hurdles along the way, but remarkably, she's remained true to the core values that appeared in the very first business plan. Alexandra Smart, welcome to Drive. Hello, Georgie. Alex, take me back to the genesis of Ginger and Smart. How did it all begin almost 20 years ago? My sister Genevieve, who's my business partner as well, and I had been talking for about 18 months about starting a business together. I was doing an MBA at the time and sort of got it into my head that perhaps I could run my own business as distinct from running other people's businesses. And we worked up this idea together to combine both our respective talents, I guess, and experience. She'd been designing for Zimmerman and other fashion labels for a long time, and I'd worked in magazine publishing and and other things. And so it sort of made sense at the time for us to come together and join our creativity and business experience and see what we could make of it. And then there was this sliding doors moment where you were made redundant and it sort of forced the issue, didn't it? Well, there were two sliding door moments, really. I'd been working as the general manager of an online content business in about 2002 and I was made redundant and found out that I was pregnant in the same month. So that was about April 2002. And so that was the moment where we jumped in because There was the opportunity, there was a pause, if you like, in my career. And one of the reasons we started the business was because we couldn't actually see our way through getting back into the positions we'd been in prior to having kids. And so we felt that running our own business was the answer to that. So I guess a couple of things happened at the same time, and it was really the impetus to jump in and get started. Tell our listeners what that beginning looked like, because it was scented candles wasn't it? It was. We started with a small collection of scented candles and some accessories, hats and scarves, really small. And literally, 
created a suitcase with the candles and door knocked into the stores that we wanted to get into at the time, which were really cool fashion lifestyle stores. And I suppose what we were doing was test marketing to see whether the vision that we had for the brand and the products that we loved at the time were going to excite the audience and excite customers. So we test marketed to all the stores that we thought were great and we were managed to get the products into those stores and and that kind of got us going from a very, very small start. So you created those relationships with retailers and then when you were ready to launch your fashion label, you were able to draw on those relationships essentially. Yes, and it was quite strategic. It wasn't a matter of door knocking and hoping. We we knew that if we approached the stores that we really wanted to be showcased in, convinced them of our vision beyond just candles and accessories into bags and then into fashion, then we'd have a long-term journey with them. And that's really how we did get started. There were no bank loans. My understanding was no financial backers. I think you had about $30,000 and a laptop. Yes, which was a handover from when I was made redundant. So we really started very small and we cash flowed the business ourselves. And because of that, we grew slowly, but really carefully as well. Uh, We didn't run and open 15 stores and find ourselves in a whole lot of bother. We just carefully chipped away over the years and grew the collection from being the candles and accessories into now ready to wear. What was your home life like growing up? Was it an artistic upbringing? Very much so. Um, Both our parents were in publishing. So dad was a book publisher, mum was an editor. And so we grew up in a very bookish family. And, you know, I loved reading, Jen loved reading. And our mum was very creative. She loved nature and she loved beautiful fabrics. And I think you said she was the original vintage shopper. Yes, she was. And she had a whole collection of silk shirts, which we refer to all the time, but not just silk shirts. She had, you know, knits and boots and all sorts of things that she collected. And at the time, of course, we didn't think anything of it. But it definitely instilled in us a set of values and the ability, I think, to appreciate things along the way. She had that ability to instill that in us. And dad was very creative as well. He would nurture writers and poets and create books and ideas. So yes, we were very lucky to grow up in that environment. And in those early days, what did success look like to you? That's a really good question. I don't know that we thought that far ahead to what success looked like. We just knew that we couldn't fail and we had to keep going through lots of ups and downs, like all startups. There's a lot of blind faith by the sounds of it. Yes. And we really did, I guess, have a faith in ourselves that we could do it. Even on hard days, you really have to just keep manning up and showing up and keep going. I think that's really one of the key attributes of an entrepreneur is to keep moving forward no matter what and not getting too stuck in what could have been. So yes, blind faith in a sense, but We also loved what we did and we still do. So even on the hard days when you're wondering what the hell you're doing it all for, there's this underlying gratefulness that we get to do it, I think. And how does that business relationship work when she's your sister? How have you navigated that relationship both professionally and personally? I think we're really lucky because we do come to the table with different skill sets but similar ways of wanting to be. So... She's creative director, but she's very much involved in business decisions. And whilst I'm managing director, I'm involved in creative decisions. And so we often tell the story that when we were at school, you either had to choose three-unit maths or art, but we both wanted to do both. And 
they scheduled them at the same time in the timetable. There was this idea that you couldn't use your right and left hand sides of your brain at once, which we both rejected really. And so what running this business has allowed us to do is to very much use those two sides of the brain. And that's what keeps us really engaged, I think. Do you disagree? Yes. (laughs) Of course we do. (laughs) It would be very unnatural if we didn't. Um, But we, we work our way through it. And we've often said, look, let's think about it, come back to it overnight. Or someone recognises that the other has an opinion that adds value to heads are better than one. We often use cheesy lines like divide and conquer to get through things. So I guess the lucky thing is, is because we're family, we come back to the same idea and the same centeredness around who we are and what we want to achieve. Mm. I just want to take you back to a point you made earlier about that sliding doors moment where in the same month you made redundant, you find out you're pregnant and you want to create, obviously, a career that can combine motherhood and obviously this huge passion and focus you had on career. Give us a little bit more of an understanding of how you navigated that, because for a lot of women, that's not easy. We set out to try to work the family life around work and all the work life around family. And so to the best of our ability, we structured our days and structured collections and structured the business day around being able to drop off kids and pick up kids and they could come into the stu- into our studio and, and hang out and make things. And, you know, we were inspired largely by our dad because when he was in book publishing, he'd take us to work and we'd hang out and review books and colour in and do all those sorts of things as kids. So we had that ability to see how it could work. Mm. So it hasn't been a smooth flight through all of that at all. But when I look back over the last 20 years, I'm grateful for the fact that the kids were part of the business and they would hang out and get to know our staff and see what our day looked like and understand how busy it is, but also understand how important they are in that framework. So I think the combination has been really a good outcome for everyone, really. Well, wonderful, I'm thinking, for those who you've employed over the years to see that, to see you managing to combine the two. Yes. And, and on a good day, they're probably going, hey, this is totally doable. And on a bad day, they're going, wouldn't do it for quids. <laughs> <laughs> because like anything, there's good and bad days. But yes, I hope that young women who've worked for us have seen that it is possible to combine the two and you don't have to give up one for the other. And you can bring these two worlds together. If inspired a handful of women to see that, then that's a great outcome. It strikes me that you have stayed so true to your values from 20 years ago. And sustainability back then was something that was absolutely on your radar. It is now an intricate part of of the label. Give us a bit more of an understanding of how that came about and what drove that. It's interesting because only a short time ago, in the last few months, I look back through some of the business plans that we wrote in the early 2000s. And in a different language, the same values that we stand for very much now were there in black and white. And it was really kind of endearing, really, (laughs) to see that. You know, they were things around making sure that, you know, women feel really good about working for the brand, that, you know, the people that work for us in factories and help put our collections together are looked after and that we care about the planet. And the words ethical trade and sustainability, they weren't there in that language back in 2002. But 
the genesis of the concept was. And so now we just have words around it and the globe seems to be picking up on these issues now, finally, which is great. Well, I think people are, are also starting to realise that fast fashion is a dirty industry. I mean, it, it, we've got to be more conscious, haven't we, about landfill? And I think I heard you say once that you want women to have pieces in their wardrobe that are there for 10 years, not 10 minutes. Yes, longevity. That's one of our key sustainable kind of messages is that um, buy something you love, buy it once and have it for 10 years plus and keep bringing it out of your wardrobe with pride rather than this sense of moving on to something in trend or in season. So language around that's now become really, really important and people are really picking up on it. I think coming out of COVID, definitely there's a real sense of conscious consumerism, much more so, we've been using these terms for a while now, but much more so spending your money on pieces that you love first, obviously, but also that you have for a long time that you'll love forever. We call them forever pieces. And there's definitely a sense of what you care about where your bread and your coffee comes from, care about where your clothes come from too. How tough has that been for you, though, over the years? I, I remember you once telling me about how, you know, these fast fashion labels come in and they rip off beautiful labels such as Ginger and Smart. I mean, that's been a big impediment, hasn't it, for you financially over the years? We've had a couple of big brands copy our prints. Our prints are very identifiable. We design them all in our studio, so they're very close to our hearts. So to have large organisations who can afford to do things differently, steal your ideas, is pretty disheartening. That has happened a few times How over do the you years. counter that? It's very hard, you know. Virtually impossible. Virtually impossible, unless you've got a quarter of a million dollars for lawyers. So you go through a process of trying to sign up tighter contracts with manufacturers and things like that. It's really the only way out these days. But... The journey for us into sustainability really started in a more formal fashion in about 2008 when we were one of the first Australian designers to become ethically accredited, which was a massive process at the time for what was a very small business. You know, structurally we had to make big changes in our production facilities and processes and, you know, we undertook that at a very early stage in our business, which in hindsight was fantastic because it's really put us in a position where it's now just part of what we do. And then that journey sort of morphed into the sustainability path a couple of years later when it became evident that technology was catching up with this need for new fabrications and gave us the ability to source much more sustainable products like bamboo, alternatives to silk, viscose and and other tensile and other... um, Plastic. Yes, recycled plastic. Amazing. It's amazing what can be done now. Yes, it is. And, you know, what started as a sustainable journey for us sort of probably eight or more years ago now is moving much faster and faster such that our spring collection that goes into stores in August is 100% sustainably sourced. So technology's caught up with our desire to create collections that are sustainable, which has helped our journey as well. Isn't that wonderful? That must be so reassuring. Mm. Big change. And to have been there right from the beginning. In this post-COVID world, I get the sense fashion has adapted. We're looking for easy wear clothes more than anything. I think I read during this period, the number one selling item has been bras with no underwire. (laughs) People are looking for comfort. What measures have, have Ginger and Smart taken to perhaps stymie the potential fallout of fashion? Our collections are a mix of workwear, event wear and 
we've always had a more ease and a more relaxed part of the collection, but that hasn't been a huge focus for us. So we're really more about event and work dresses and pieces. So we've had to convert, if you like, or pivot into a more easy collection, a more relaxed part of the collection. But really, at the end of the day, we'll eventually go back to life as it was in a different form, definitely. But, you know, there will be parties and there will be events and there will be places where women want to put on special pieces that they love. So in the meantime, definitely what we've been selling has been more relaxed pieces. We're going to take a quick break now and we'll be right back after this message from our partner, Uber Eats. Uber Eats is the perfect companion for Aussies on the go. They're for you at home, at work or on holidays. Uber Eats has more than 20,000 restaurants offering fresh and delicious meals at the click of a button. Thanks to Uber Rewards, more than a million Australians are already earning loyalty points on every order on Uber Eats. Download Uber Eats from the App Store and celebrate local restaurants today or explore the new grocery option to get your essentials without visiting the supermarket. Uber Eats, connecting what matters. Future Women is dedicated to helping women connect, learn and lead. There's a price point to suit most budgets or talk to your company about a corporate training membership to advance your professional development. Just head to futurewomen.com. Welcome back to Drive, where my guest today is Alexandra Smart. Last year, you sold a majority stake in your business to Alcyon Retail Group. Talk us through that, because I imagine that was a very difficult decision to sell off a controlling interest of what's effectively your baby. Yes, it was a hard decision, but it was really a chance for us to fulfil our desire and our strategy to grow the business. And we'd got the business to a certain stage and a certain level, a certain size, and we needed partners to come in and help us get to the next level. So you needed that capital backing. Correct, yeah. And uh, fashion retail is an expensive business to get into in terms of leases and so forth, pre-COVID. And so we just knew that we could keep going the way we've been going for nearly 20 years or get an injection of help. Whilst it was difficult losing that kind of business control, we're still very much managing director and creative director. We're still very much driving the business. And so the partnership is working really well. Fashion is a tough industry, isn't it? I mean, to succeed in the way that you have, let alone for decades, is no mean feat. What would you say to people wanting to start out now in fashion? It's funny because people often say that. And I say all business is hard. Fashion is deemed hard because there's evidently a lot of people that don't make it. And that's always a good news story. But plenty of other businesses don't make it either. And fashion is an industry that attracts creative people and really interesting, diverse people. And lots of entrepreneurs who are creative give it a shot and create beautiful labels. And we in Australia, we punch way above our weight in terms of Australian designers who succeed. If you look at most big international cities, whether it's New York or London or Paris, there's not that level of homegrown designers that succeed. So conversely, I think in Australia, we support our Australian designers really well. We have 10 to 15 colleagues in the industry who are all successful. So whilst it is a hard business because it's number one creative, 
you're designing, you're manufacturing and you're often retailing, it's an exciting industry to be a part of. And in the main, people do really well. When you look back over the nearly 20 years, is there anything you'd do differently if you had the chance to do it again? Yes, I think, you know, we've learned a lot. And I think one of the key things is to make sure that you're financed well with any business that you start. You know, when we are asked that question, what would you say to young designers or or people starting out in business or young entrepreneurs? It's the hardest thing to achieve, but being well financed from the start is really critical because if you're always just chasing cash flow, it can be really stymie your ability to realise the dream. So it's a bit of a catch-22, definitely. But I also say if you're really passionate, you've got a really good idea and it really is different from what other people are doing, give it a go because you never know. And I think I heard you say once, if you had your time again, you'd perhaps enjoy your successes along the way a little bit more, perhaps smell the roses. Yes, (laughs) I probably did say that. I think if I had my time again, I think Jen would probably say this too, actually, we'd manage our well-being a little bit more. Like I find myself telling staff to you know, look after their health or, you know, mindfulness and all these other things that we now talk about, didn't talk about 20 years ago, but I have to pull myself up and say, well, you know, you need to be doing those things too. Mm. And I think that's about women supporting women in a business environment. I think that's really important. And I brought up three kids during this time and Jen's brought up two. So between us, you know, we coulda, shoulda spend a bit more time looking out after ourselves through that journey as well. And by that, you know, potentially getting some more support on the home front. Yes, that, definitely. But also, you know, taking time out and we both now meditate and do all that good stuff. But I wish we'd done that in the early years because I think it would have been better on our health probably. Is there a fashion trend that you hope never comes back, Alexandra Smart? (laughs) Well, the interesting thing is, is that we never really look at trends. Trends as we used to think of them, whether that be neon or miniskirts or, you know, those sorts of definable trends are sort of something of the past now. What we talk about is individuality. Mm. And so women bringing their own sense of what suits them and what they love and what they love to wear to the table rather than following fads. And I think that's pretty universal now. You might see runway shows where you think that there's a, a trend emerging and the next minute, you know, it's sort of tossed on its head. That's a really exciting move for the fashion industry. What that's saying is choose your own style. Everything goes. Nothing's out of fashion. Absolutely. Mm. Vintage is back in fashion every five minutes. So what we talk about and our stylists in the stores talk about is what makes you feel amazing? What, how do you emotionally respond to a colour or a print or something that you're wearing? How do you build your armour? Um, and that's much more important to us than trends. Well, your pieces are timeless. I mean, I've got pieces at least 10, if not 15 years old. They're just beautiful and they stand the test of time. We love that. We love nothing more than seeing someone wear something that, you know, is, as you say, 10, 15 years old Mm. and it's still relevant and it's still beautiful and she still feels great wearing it. Mm. That's sort of what we stand for. Yeah. Well, it's a huge compliment to the both of you. Which famous person would you love the opportunity to dress? Is there anyone in mind or who over the years you've looked at and thought, gee, I'd love to get a ginger and smart piece on her? Yes, Tilda Swinton. Ah. She's been Speaking of unique. (laughs) Yes. She could line up and have any fashion designer dress her, but she has always been 
a style icon for us because she's so of her own vision and she looks good in anything and often sets a real standard and, and really challenges your idea of what should be fashion or yeah. not. She's amazing at what she does too. So we see a lot of alignment with her. How do you get a piece to her? <laughs> Surely that can be done. Well, you never know. <laughs> because she's so confident and striking. For us, she's almost like a swan. You know, she's got a long neck and that great hair and and more than that, it's about her artistic contribution too. Mm. I mean, the, the movies that she chooses are, are quirky and different and intelligent and stand for everything that we love too. Mm. Is there a wardrobe staple that you think every woman should invest in? Is, is it the sharp blazer, do you think? For me it is, yes. Mm. And also comfortable, cool shoes are really critical because we're all running around doing lots of different interesting things and gone are the days where you have to suffer in, for beauty. And so, you know, our shoes are really part of our wardrobe every day now because they're comfortable but they've got an edge. And they are comfortable. I can absolutely <laughs> agree with you on that. A question I'm reluctant to ask because it's often not asked of men, but I think our, our listeners would be interested to know, what's been your approach to combining the demands of a thriving and successful business with a family? You've got three kids. You have been, for a large part, a single mother. How have you managed? I think it's a good question. I have had to stay really on top of and connected to my kids as my first priority and kept really energised by my business and tried to make sure that when I'm at work, I'm at work and I'm very focused on that and when I'm with my kids, I'm really with my kids and made sure that they can feel my energy and that I'm not too distracted and that I leave work at work. And it's really easy to say that but it's really actually hard to perform that and I'm not always perfect at it. But I do think and hope that my kids, you know, when they can articulate this stuff, say that I was very present for them at all times. Mm. I made sure that the business worked around things like, you know, assemblies and pickups and all that sort of stuff, which meant that I worked late at night and made up for that time. But mm. I was able to combine the two in a way that meant that they always felt that I was there for them. A few quick fun questions. Tell us about an overseas trip that's perhaps left a big impression on you? That's an easy one. I went to Morocco with my two sisters in 2015 and I just fell in love with the city, Marrakesh, and was meant to be there last week actually for my significant birthday <laughs> and, and that will now happen next year. But so much about that city I loved was just the colour, the vibrancy, the people, the food, it just ticks so many boxes for me and travel's such a big inspiration for me personally, always has been. And so I really hold that holiday dear in my heart because I was with my sisters too, which was lovely, and can't wait to get back. Mm. Well, you've whet my appetite. Mm -hmm. Do you listen to podcasts? Is there any that you've listened to of late that have left an impression? I do, actually. I listen to podcasts a lot. I really enjoy the podcast on business of fashion. They are not just about fashion. They're about, you know, business and ideas and global issues. And it's really an interesting feed because it 
is so broad, really. Creativity, so many things that I'm interested in. I really enjoy Future Women podcast, <laughs> not just saying that. And leadership podcasts as well. Mm. It's really good to remind yourself of the attributes and the ideas and requirements of how to be a good leader. Because when you're in it, you're just doing things. So it's good to kind of lift your head out and just re-engage with other people's ways of thinking. Yes. Have you, on that note, have you got a mentor? Has there been someone over the years who you've been able to turn to? It's interesting because the answer is no. And I think that's why I believe in it so much. I think I would have loved to have had someone to bounce ideas off and help grow my career in certain directions. And And is that because there were few women for you to turn to in that mentoring role or is it that you perhaps didn't have the confidence to ask? Well, I think that really it was because for 20 years we've been in our own small business bubble and there wasn't necessarily the opportunity to knock on people's doors as much because you're really just doing your own thing. With the benefit of hindsight, I wish I'd worked a little bit harder in this area because I think that um, it's really important. Consequently, you know, Genevieve and I both believe strongly in the art of mentoring and mentor our staff, but also, you know, other people through other collaborations. So it's so important to pull up women with you Mm. through life, not just through business. So, you know, it's very much part of what we do too. It's so satisfying, isn't it? Yes, and it's empowering and it's confidence building and it's an important part of all our roles, really. A book recommendation. Have you been reading much over this period? Is there a book that you've loved? I, funnily enough, through this period, haven't stopped working. <laughs> so this, this idea of baking bread and being at home is not oh, really my on, world. Oh, come on, Alexandra. All those extra hours <laughs> in the day. <laughs> but I'm, I'm halfway through and really loving Lee Sales' book, actually. Yeah. It's a fabulous read. It is, and it's so pertinent for these times and witty and clever and and well-written, so I'm really enjoying reading her book. My last question, when are you at your happiest, do you think? That's a lovely question. I'm at my happiest when my children are tucked up in bed safe and I know that they're okay and then I know I can relax. But I also love being in nature I don't do this often enough, but bushwalking makes me happy and yoga makes me happy. Perfect. <laughs> it's always a great pleasure to see you. Thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you. It's lovely. That brings us to the end of the first season of Drive. I hope you've enjoyed hearing from these remarkable women as much as I have really loved chatting with them. Thank you again for listening. Drive is a Future Women podcast in partnership with Uber Eats and it's produced by Fancy Films. Make sure you head to futurewomen.com to find out how you can advance your professional career. Listener.